Well, in the last few weeks, we've been uh, looking at a uh, very interesting, to me, passage of Scripture, and I hope more and more it's becoming interesting to you. And that's the passage in Matthew 22 where Jesus uh, comes along and he, he is asked actually by a religious leader in the day, what is the first and the greatest commandment? And, uh, you know, uh, his response sort of turns that question on its head. He doesn't really answer the question. Number one, he gives two commandments instead of just one. And neither of them are part of the Ten Commandments, which was really what the question was about. And, he, and, and, and what he says in the end of the day is, you know, you know what, guys, these well-meaning Pharisees, these people who had a heart for God's law and, and who, who were trying to do what was right and best and as far as they were concerned, he basically said to them, in the end of the day, it's not really about all these laws that are so, so important to you. Laws are good. Jesus didn't deny that. But he said, that's not really what this is about. What, what this whole endeavor of faith is about is about loving God and loving people, especially people who are hurting and struggling and in need, caring for them, you know, being moved in your heart towards them and, and blessing them. It's about what's going on in your heart. Guess what we're going to talk about today? I want to talk to you about what's going on in your heart because that's what Jesus, I mean, he puts his finger on it. He essentially says, you know, you can get all caught up in what's right and what's wrong and living morally and staying away from what's, what's sinful. And of course, that's not a bad endeavor. It's not a bad thing to do. But he said, look at your hearts, people. Examine them. And I, I hope we can do that together today uh, from Matthew chapter 22. I want to introduce uh, a, a, a way of digging into the passage a little more deeply this morning, and then I'm going to read the, read the text to you again. But I, I want to ask you this question. Jesus responded to the Pharisees saying, first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, everything that, you, that is within you, your whole being. Love God. We've talked about that. And then he said, the second commandment is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. And we've talked about that. I hope you've been practicing both those things over the last couple of weeks and with, with great intentionality. Here's my, my question for you. Why is the first question the first question? Or the first commandment the first commandment, I'm sorry. And why is the second commandment the second one? Have you ever thought about it? Why did he say the first and greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? And the second one, number two on the list, is love your neighbor as yourself. Let's look at the text. Matthew 22, verses 37 to 39. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why is the first one first? And why is the second one second? Um, could, could he have turned those two around and say the first and greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself? Would that have been legitimate? And the second commandment is like it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and, uh, and mind. He, he could have. But there's a purpose I want to suggest to you to this sequencing, to the, to the way Jesus said what he said. I want to talk about what's going on here. Well, I want to suggest to you the basic teaching here and elsewhere in the Bible is that to get us where the Lord wants us to be, right here, and in our relationship with him and in our lives as Jesus followers, Essentially, what we have to do is to get our hearts right with God. That's really what he wants. Every single one of us, no matter where we are born or when we're born, we have to 
engage this process of moving toward God and entering into a relationship with him and the, and the, as the crucial element of our lives, knowing and trusting and living in relationship with God. You know, rather than having rebellion against God as some people do, rather than having apathy toward God as some people do, rather than being, as Romans says, some people have hostility in their heart toward God, Jesus, in the end of the day, says, what we need to get to is a place where our hearts actually are in love with God. Love Him, He says, first and foremost. And this happens, of course, in lots of unique ways. But through some experience of, of God and of God's truth, it might be through preaching as, as is happening now, it might be through people reading the Bible on their own, it might be through somebody encountering uh, a follower of Jesus and hearing their story of what God has done in their lives. Somehow, in some way, people come to this place of, of, of God actually revealing himself to them. They come to this place where God opens their eyes and he enables them to see himself and in this process, we come to this place where we start to grasp and understand God. And it, as part of that experience, we very literally start to see how God sees us. Has this happened in your life yet? Has this impact come? You know, when God looks at us, what the Bible says, he sees that every human being when they are born is separated from him. Because of, the, because, of, because of rebellion and because of sin. It says that we're under the judgment of God. Obviously, that's why we need Jesus. He, the Bible says that we're, God sees us and he looks at us and he sees people who are in desperately in need of forgiveness for all of our sin. God looks at us and, and he sees some, someone, each of us, who is in need and in the process we begin to see what he has done for us in Jesus on the cross. We begin to understand that God so cared for us that Jesus came into this world and he died on a cross and that what he did on the cross literally 2,000 years ago is effective for me today. It has effect in my life in a very real and profound way. And we start to believe in this one named Jesus, the Son of God, and what he did on the cross. And we start at some point uh, to develop this relationship with God by believing in Jesus. And as we do so, I want to tell you something starts to happen in us. Not only faith. What starts to happen in us is we start to recognize that God, this God of heaven, this God who saw us in our need, this God who sent his son into the world in the person of Jesus, this one who has died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, we start little by little by little to understand the fact that God loves me. We start to see his heart for us. We start to understand the why of the cross. And the very fact that God noticed us in our need and he acted for us in Christ and he did so simply to help us to bless our lives, to save us. We start to understand God's heart for us. To use the story of the Good Samaritan that we referred to last week, it's a story very briefly of a Samaritan man, and again, the Samaritans and Jews hated one another, but he comes along in this parable, this made-up story by the Lord Jesus. He comes along and he sees a, a Jewish man lying on the side of the road, beaten and bleeding and dying. And the Good Samaritan stops and, and he sacrifices his time and his money and he binds up this man's wounds and he puts him on a donkey and he takes him to an inn and, and he pays the innkeeper to take care of him until he's well. 
Well, I want to tell you, if we were to look at ourselves and try to find ourselves in the story, my friends, we are the man bleeding by the side of the road. We are the ones who are broken in incredible need. And it's God whose heart went out to us. It's God who had a great compassion for us. And it's God in the story, if you would, who acted in love for us. And I want to tell you, when we grasp this reality, when we come to understand literally the overwhelming love of God for me and for you, something happens in our hearts. You know what it is? We start to love God back. Listen to 1 John 4, verse 19. It says this. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. It's this which Jesus comes to in the end of the day, and he says, this is what's primary in faith. This is what's primary in being a child of God. And it's why the first commandment comes first and in time produces the reality of the second. You see, my friends, I want to tell you this. When God's love takes hold in our lives, when we come to that place where we stand back and through the eyes of faith begin to understand this God who is love, and we begin to understand how deeply and profoundly he loves not the whole world, not all of IPC, but how deeply and profoundly he loves me, things really start to change in us. Our hearts open to him, and we love him back. And something really profound and significant happens, and that is that God comes as we open our hearts to him. And the Bible says God literally takes up residence in our hearts. It says the Holy Spirit of God comes, and, and he, he dwells in us. He resides in us. And as the God of love, he fills our lives with love. And then that love overflows out of us into the lives of other people, people Jesus called our neighbors. It's really interesting to me, Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, those, those things that naturally are produced in anyone in whom the Spirit of God is dwelling. And, 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 he, and he gives us a whole list of seven or eight qualities. But the very first quality or fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Paul wrote, it's not the second, it's not the fifth, and it's not the eighth. It's the first thing that happens in us. When this relationship of love is formed with God, when our eyes are open to see his love, when we love him back, when the spirit of God, who is love, comes and dwells in us, it's just the reality of what we experience. Love flows from us into the lives of other people. And I want to tell you it's because our hearts have been changed. It's because we have come to know the reality of God in us. And I want to tell you, at that point, the foundational or the fundamental principle of our lives becomes love. It's why we love people that we don't know. It's why we love people, Jesus said, even your enemies, you can love them. It's why we love people even when we shouldn't and ought not in the eyes of many people of this world. It's just the way it is. Bible says, and, and I want to push a little bit this way. You, you know, I hope you're ready to be a little challenged this morning because the Bible says that it cannot be otherwise in the lives of people who know and love God. You know that? If God is here, that love will flow to others. And the Bible says it's not possible to know God 
and for that love to not flow. Listen to 1 John 3, 17 and 18. It says this. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, other translations say compassion on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I want to tell you, that's, that's profound stuff. Because it's basically saying, I mean, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is no, it's not possible for someone to have material possessions and see somebody in great need and do nothing about it. Just leave that person alone. What's being suggested to us is, is really a challenging sort of thing. If we have had this encounter with the God of love, if we have been transformed by the reality of this God who is alive and real and profoundly influencing our lives, love is the evidence of his presence. And what the text is saying is if there's no love there, there's no God. Go back to the parable of the Good Samaritan. The priest and the Levite, people who were very religious and they served in the temple, both of them, and they represented God. When they walked past the bleeding, beaten up, dying man, what was in their hearts toward them? Apparently not much. They literally crossed to the other side of the road and went on, leaving that man alone. They had the means and, and, and the wherewithal to help that man, and they did absolutely nothing. What Jesus is saying is though they have these positions of authority and responsibility as religious figureheads, they don't have the love of God in them. I want, you to, I want to remind you, as Jesus tells this story in Luke 10, the parallel passage to Matthew 22, he's speaking to the religious leaders of his day. He's talking to people who are to be the example of what faithful following should look like. And he's essentially saying to them, you know what, you obey the laws, you do everything that you are commanded, but there's something commanded, but there's something missing in your heart. And what that reality is is not only the love of God, but the presence of God. Like that's a wow moment, right? That should cause us to sit back and just think and and and, and ponder. First John chapter one, I'm taking a fair bit from this this short book in the New Testament, but let me read verses five to eight for you. Hear this. <clears throat> This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. Heard from Christ and now declare to you. God is light. I should read it from there. God is light and in him there, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's a powerful line also, my friends. It's possible as people of faith to be deceived. It's possible to say, hey, as I'm sure these Pharisees would, I obey all the laws, look at me. And they did that very intentionally. I am one who honors the law of God, and I am one who fulfills it on every detail. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And I want to tell you, my friends, <laughs> the evidence of the presence of God in our lives is the fact that we love, first and foremost, God 
and then the people that we encounter who are in need. When God is in us, when God is alive and at work in us, the foundational principle, principle of our lives is love. Now, not everybody lives this way. A lot of people who have not encountered God live in their natural state, if you would, the natural fallen human being circumstances, essentially this, that the foundational principle of their lives is not love for God and it's not love for other people. It is love for, who do you think? Self. People are going like this. It's for self. The reality that, 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 you know, that, that I'm going to live for me, the ultimate question that forms their lives basically is what is good for me in this circumstance? Many people live like that versus out of a love for God and out of a love for other people. So what does this all mean? What does this mean for us? Well, number one, <clears throat> I would suggest this. If you look at your life and you see uh, the predominance of self and self-centeredness, if you see the reality of your life basically being about me and how I can live for myself, I want to suggest to you with everything in me, get into the presence of God and confess that before him and ask for his forgiveness and ask the Lord Jesus to come into your heart and to change your heart because he is the one who can do that. He is the one who can do that and he will. On the other side of the equation, for those of us who, you know, are living by this law of Christ, the law of love, for, the, uh, for people who have encountered God and whose eyes have been opened and who love him back, for people who have a real passion and compassion for hurting and struggling people. We have to simply let love be the guiding principle of our lives. Do you think of that? Do you consider that possibility? I love 1 Corinthians 6, 16, verse 14. Simple little verse which says this. My love... That's 24... Close, but not quite. 1 Corinthians 6, 16, verse 14. Can we get that quickly? I'm going to beat you to it in the book. It simply says this. Do everything in love. Do everything in love. Um, love for God. Love for people. That, let that be in your heart. Let that be the motivation that drives your life that causes you to do the things that you do. A couple of examples. Let me ask you this morning, as I do on occasion, I, I, I like to do this. Why are you here? You get up this morning, you said, I'm going to go, I'm going to say it right there in this way, I'm going to go to church. There was something that brought you to this place, there was something that made you want to come and be in this, this room this morning. There are good reasons and maybe not so good reasons why you're here. How about this one? Selfish ones first, the self-oriented one first. You know, I get a lot of, a lot of friends at IPC, and I like hanging out with them. Now nah, the sermon's fine, but it's the coffee afterwards that I really like, right? You know, so some people might come here to socialize because they enjoy that. Some people might think something like this, you know, but I'm supposed to go to church Sunday morning. It's the right thing to do. Isn't there some kind of law in the Bible about this? Sounds a little pharisaical, right? I, there's a law, therefore I do it. And if I don't do it, I'm, I feel guilty. I feel like it's just, it's just not right. And somehow we're assuaging our guilt and we come so that we might feel better. We're coming for our own purposes. 
some people say, I got to look good in the eyes of other people, you know? Maybe less in, in this generation than a generation ago, but I got to look good, and ultimately that's me concerned about me. Some people might say, you know, it just makes me feel good. Uh, you know, life is challenging. This encourages me. This builds me up. I need to feel better about life. Well, in contrast to all of that, how about this? I want to get into the presence of God and worship Him this morning because I love Him. I want to be with God. I want to thank God for the numerous things that He's doing in my life. I want to sing those songs and praise Him with all of my heart. I want to know that I'm in His presence and I want to hear His word preached so that I can take His word which comes to me out of a heart of love and I can go then, then obey His word. That's not about you. That's about God and about our love for Him. How about this one? I know Brennan, our youth pastor, who's just returning on a part-time basis, as many of you all know, is seeking now to build a youth ministry team, eight or ten adults, I suppose, to just lead kids with him into a living, life-changing relationship with the Lord. You know, he said that to me this week, and, I th and I've been thinking, and I just, I've thought to myself, why on earth would anybody do that? <laughs> you get that, Right? teenagers i can help them in my home i don't need to spend time with other people's teenagers right but why would you do that there are so many things that people can do with their time they can go and socialize and hang out with their friends and have a good time you could you know you, you could you could um spend time and just relax at home because work is demanding and you just like to put your feet up at the end of the day you can engage in your hobbies you can go golfing you can do woodworking or whatever you do there are all kinds of things that people could do other than spending time with a bunch of teenagers. Why would anybody do that? Well, how about out of a love for God and out of a real love for these kids? You know, coming to that place where you, you know God loves you and he's given you gifts and he's got a purpose for your life and that he wants to use you and out of love for him, you say, okay, God, I want to do that because I love you and I want to serve you. And out of a love for your neighbor because you look into the lives of these kids and you recognize being a teenager is not an easy thing these days. As a matter of fact, it's hard, particularly if you're a Christian kid and you're trying to, trying to be different from the world and be strong in faith. And you look at their lives and you recognize the need and you recognize their need to grow into a real relationship with the Lord Jesus and your heart goes out to them as it says in the parable of the Good Samaritan and you have compassion on them and you act because you love them. That's why, to, why, why we would want people to do it if they do it at all. How about this one? Why do you do what you do when you, are, when you do something good for your spouse, if, assuming, of course, you're married. Why do you do what you do? I mean, the potential is, I'm going to do something nice for my husband or my wife because I know that's going to bring something positive into my life. <laughs> that's the me-oriented way of living. But you know, my friends, what we have to do is think, okay, how can I love my husband? How can I love my wife? How can I be good to them? Not because I'm getting anything back, just because I want to bless them. Just bless them. How about this one? I have reason right now to fairly regularly go to Oxford Gardens. Anybody know what Oxford Gardens is? 
It's a retirement home in Woodstock. My dad's there. Um, and I was thinking these thoughts this week, and I was actually walking into the building one day this week, and I, and I thought to myself, why do people come to visit their parents here? Or their grandparents, for that matter. What's in the hearts of people? You know, I think it's possible that some people go to see their elderly parents because if they don't, their elderly parents are going to be annoyed with them and natter on about it and they're going to be critical of them and they just want to avoid that whole scene. So I'm going to go just to keep them quiet, you know. And I, I wonder, I don't know if this is, I mean, these are just thoughts, but I wonder how many people go to visit elderly parents at Oxford Gardens because they want to secure that inheritance. Because if I don't go and if they get really down on me, if they, you know, things could change. The lawyer might get a call. And it's really about me getting what's good for me. As opposed to the idea of going to visit parents who are in that circumstance just out of a love for them. To be good to them. To care for them. See, my friends, I could go on and on and on, but what I'm talking about in the end of the day this morning, what, what Jesus ultimately is talking about when he said, love God first and then love your neighbor, he's talking about the condition of our hearts. He's saying, first of all, has your heart been transformed by the presence and the power of God? Has the God of love come into your being so much so that love flows from who you are into the lives of everyone you encounter and that your primary motivation in life is love? Are you still caught up in self-serving, doing things because it's good for you? And Jesus is saying the heart of this faith is not obedience to the commands, as important as the commands are. And as we sang about this morning, they're a blessing of God to us. They show us life. But it's not about obedience. It is about love. And what's going on right here? I'm going to take you to uh, a fairly well-known uh, passage in the Old Testament it's the story of the, the nation of Israel, and King Saul has been king for a time, and he's really a failed king, and, and God says to the prophet Samuel, I want you to go, and I want you to find the next king of Israel, and I want you to anoint him in my name. Ultimately, he would anoint David to be the next and great king of Israel. And he went to, uh, led by God's spirit, to the home of a man named Jesse, and Jesse brought all his sons from the oldest, ultimately to the youngest, to Samuel, and Samuel looked at some of the older ones, um, and this essentially is, is, is what is written. First Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. This particular son was looking good. He was looking kingly, strong, attractive. Here is one, Samuel thought, who's likely to be the choice of God. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at, look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, this isn't necessarily about what we do, Pharisees. <laughs> this isn't necessarily about all the good things you, you accomplish, because from an outward perspective, it all looks wonderful and grand and fine and good. But in the end of the day, God doesn't care so much about the outward appearance. God cares about your heart and why you do what you do. And in the end of the day, what Jesus is 
is, is crying out for both 2,000 years ago and here, yes, today in Interkip, Ontario. He's saying, do what you do because you love God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. And out of the overflow of that dynamic and living relationship with the Lord who now lives in you and who has transformed your heart, let that love flow into the lives of your neighbors, people whom you encounter who are hurting and broken and just need somebody to care for them. And I guess what I'm standing here today to do out of Scripture and by its authority is saying, how's your heart? Why do you do what you do? I'm here to say to you, don't be deceived as Pharisees were and as was the Levite and the priest in the story of the Good Samaritan. It's possibly to be oh so religious and to obey all the laws and to look good to everyone in this world. But to be far from God but to have literally not encountered the reality of the living God in your life, to have not come to that place of relationship with him whereby he has transformed our hearts so much so that love flows from us. You know, these texts that I've read to you today basically said you can evaluate that yourself and you can determine whether you are really his. If you look at your life and you see selfishness, if you see self-centeredness, if the fundamental principle of life that you have adopted and, and, and which has formed your life is built all around you taking care of you, I'm going to say it again. Get into the presence of God. Confess that reality. Ask the Lord to forgive you of it, and he will. Invite him to come in, and he will transform your heart, and you will find yourself loving people, and you won't even know why. <laughs> You won't even understand the love that flows. But the reason the love flows is because the Lord has taken up residence in you and he has changed you. So my friends, I guess I just want to, as a faithful minister of the gospel, as we say, right, I want to communicate the book. Get this right. Put priority on finding and having a relationship with the Lord Jesus and then live your life out of love for God and for neighbor. Not for self. Not for self. Not anymore. See need and address it. Have compassion for those who are hurting and broken and act. Form your life based on the reality of there's a, the fact that there's a God in heaven who loves you and he loves every person in this world. And his greatest desire is to express his love through you and to touch the broken and the hurting and the struggling and the fearful so that they too might know his love at work in them. So that they too might find the reality of a God in heaven who is real and alive. So that they too might come to that place where they are encountering love in them and finding love flow through them into the lives of others. Can you imagine if this just kept happening? Can you imagine if the, I don't know, 250 or 300 people who sit here today went out into this world and their primary motivation in life, their passionate desire and conviction was to do nothing other than love God and love people. Love God and love people. Be steeped in this relationship of love and then let the Lord love 
through us. I want to tell you, this world would be changed. It would be dramatically changed as people are loved in the name of Jesus. So I say, IPC, this is who you are. This is your identity. You are loved of God. You are precious to him. He has sent Christ to die for you. He, he desires and, uh, to forgive sin and to make you his own and to take up residence in your heart and to transform your heart into a heart of love. If you haven't found it, find it. Seek it and pursue it till it becomes a reality in you. And my friends, if you have found it, then take the opportunity and live your life motivated by one thing. Well, two. Two things. Love God and love your neighbor. Let me pray. Lord, what we've talked about today is uh, it's actually a remarkable thing that you love us. Jesus' commandment was that we would love you and that we would love others, but Lord, it's all rooted in the fact of your love for us. And you're sending Christ into this world and then you coming by your spirit and taking hold of our hearts and transforming them, changing them into hearts of love. God, I would pray for people here today and they just have that sense that I'm not there yet. <laughs> And I just live way too much for myself. I pray, Lord, that you would give them just a deep desire to know you. And I pray that you'll lead them to that place where they literally invite you into their hearts to transform them. That they might know your love in such a profound and beautiful way. Lord, for those of us who have encountered you, for those of us who... Um, who do know the power and the love and the reality of God internally and within. How we pray, Father, that um, the Lord, we might just be intentional, that we might be people who give priority to loving you and to loving other people. Just enjoying and celebrating and nurturing our relationship with you, but then, Lord, out of that reality, just seeing need and giving ourselves so that others might be blessed. Father, make this more and more reality in us. Open our eyes to see the man lying, bleeding, and dying at the side of the road. Maybe previously we just walk on by. And help us to be people and help us to be a church that just refuses to do that anymore. Help us to be a people who, and a church which just gives ourselves to loving as you have loved us. And Lord, as we love, as we loved as Jesus loved, we pray that this world might be transformed and made new through the love and through the power and through the truth and through the grace and through the goodness of God. This week, Father, we pray that we might be people of love that we might be a people of love as we seek to serve you with all of our hearts, as we seek to love you. And these things are God, we pray in Jesus' name.